Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny kicked off our Advent series, teaching from Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 13, about the solid hope we have in Christ. Happy Advent, Remembrance Community Church. Just with a show of hands, how many of you guys traditionally, not since you've been coming to Remembrance Community Church, but how many of you guys traditionally in the past have celebrated Advent? Awesome. I really never did until a few years ago we kind of just entered into this process of trying to figure out what it is. The church, for, for almost 2,000 years, has been celebrating as part of the New Testament uh, Christian church calendar, Advent and Lent. But it's, it's a time to remember uh, that Jesus came and is coming back. Advent is about coming. It's about the coming. That Jesus came... And that he's coming back. And it traditionally uh, lasts for four Sundays plus Christmas Eve. And so it begins today. And we're going to be looking at the traditional aspects of Advent, which is hope, peace, joy, love, and Jesus the Messiah on Christmas Eve. And so we're excited to dive into that. If you guys would uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, that's where we're going to be at today. And as you guys turn to Romans chapter 15, um, I want you guys to just imagine, I know this isn't a wonderful thing to imagine, but go with me here. I want you just to imagine as you're turning to Romans 15 that you are a prisoner of war, like Louis Zamperini, who was a Torrance resident and was shot down as a, his airplane was shot down during World War II, and for 47 days... He was able to survive in the ocean, freezing cold, fighting off sharks. And then his supposed rescuers were the Japanese, a Japanese convoy. And they took him straight to a a Japanese war prison where he was tortured for two years. And and, and he survived. And there's a movie that was made about it. And the book is even better than the movie called Unbroken. And he states that a lot of people didn't make it through that, through that, that time as prisoners of war. They gave up, they, they atrophied, they, they, they didn't have, he said, the mental resolve to make it. And he attributed it all to hope. He said that he never stopped believing that he was going to make it home to his family. He never stopped believing, tortured every day, everyone around him dying, not knowing when or if really, but just believing with hope. I want you to imagine you're him. And then all of a sudden you hear United States military airplane approaching. And then you see it. And then another one. And then all your buddies around you realize what is going down. And you start cheering. And all of your enemy captors start hiding. Hope. Hope is what brought him to that moment. And in that moment, hope arrived. It would be the moment that hope arrived. And the reason why I tell that story is because it is similar in the parallel to the Israelite journey. In the Old Testament, they, were, they, had a, they had all these prophetic promises that a Messiah would come. And their hope was 
was built, no matter how bad it got through the, through the, through, uh, the capture in Babylon, through, through, through good times, through bad times, they were awaiting hope. They were awaiting a Messiah. And when, when Jesus showed up, hope arrived. Hope showed up. Some people recognized it and some people didn't. And Jesus, in his life and his death, and his resurrection was the very emulation of that hope arrived. And then he, he dies, he rises from the dead, he ascends, and he tells his followers, you see me now, but a little while longer and you won't see me anymore. But don't be afraid, I'm coming back. And all of these things are what kind of capture this idea of hope that we celebrate in Advent, and we live in this tension of hope, which we call the already. When Jesus already came, he already died, he already rose from the dead, he already conquered sin, he already offers us forgiveness from our sins, he, he, he offers us reconciliation to this God. There's an already aspect to our hope, and there's a not yet aspect to our hope. It's as if that plane comes by and you already see it, but it, it has to find a place to land. In, in his case, it ended up actually circling and going away and then coming back. And there was a not yet. And we live in this tension, but how do we live in this tension with hope? That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 15 that we're going to be studying today. How to live in the tension of the already and the not yet with hope. So he says in, in verses 7 through 13, he says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you, to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his, uh, for his mercy, as it is written... Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what you need to know is when it refers to the, the circumcised, it's, re, it's, re, it's referring to the Jewish, the Israelite nation. They, they were the circumcised. And God came and died on a cross. He came, He was born. He fulfilled all of these promises that were made to the Jews and also, when it says the Gentiles, he's talking about those who were not Jewish. And he's, what he's saying is that now, when Jesus came, he fulfilled all the promises that the Jewish people were waiting for. And not only that, he also fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham when he, when he gave him his covenant, that I'm going I'm to bless you to bless all of the nations. And now the Gentiles and the Jews and everybody who believes can have this hope. And this should give us a deep and secure hope. 
And so the first thing in your notes we're going to look at from the passage from verse 13 is Paul refers to it, not, not just any type of hope, but he refers to the God of hope. The God of hope. And so let me ask you this as we, as we kind of kick off. How would you define this hope? What is this hope that Paul is talking about? And, and thankfully, he doesn't leave it up to us in this letter to come up with our own definition. He's already told us in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to flip back or if you want to just read up on the screen or listen, in Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25, same letter, just a little earlier, he says, Now in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So interesting, he says, Now in this hope... We were saved. It's a conjunction type of a, of, of a message right here where it conjoins it to what came before, right? What is he talking about? In this hope, what hope? Well, we go back to verse 18, he says this. He goes, For I consider that these sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Isn't that a good verse? No matter how hard it gets, and sometimes it gets really hard, and he's not downplaying that. He's not saying you should always smile in every season and pretend like everything is roses. No, we go through hard times. Paul went through hard times. That's what he's saying. He says, but no matter how hard it gets, I consider this. These present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when Jesus does come back. This is hope. How many of you guys would love to live with that type of hope? And what he's saying is that we can. And then in verse 20, he says, And in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. How many of you guys have ever gone through a season or you watch the news or, and you just go, Why doesn't God come back and fix everything that's broken? Well, he gives an answer to that. He says, I'm going to. But I haven't yet. Because I'm patient, I still have work to do in the not yet before I come back. So he's patient, but the, the hope is in this. He will come back, and he will make all things new. He will right all wrongs. Everything will be as it should be in the end. And so this is the type of hope he's talking about in which we were saved, he says. And, and he says, this hope is something that's not seen. And what he's talking about is this tension that we live in between the already and the not yet. In fact, Jesus came and he, and he revealed who God is to us in, a, in, a, in becoming a man. Jesus became a man and he, and he revealed who God is, God incarnate. And then before he left, he told his disciples, you see me now. But in a little while, you won't see me anymore. But then I'm going to come back. So we live in the tension of this already and not yet. And what Paul is saying is, in the, in the not yet, we don't see him like we did. And we don't see him like we will. But we still have hope. It's a hope that's not seen. But it's a hope that is secure. And then he says, and we eagerly wait. We eagerly wait. This is the type of language about expectation. 
Expectation is a beautiful part of the Advent season. We, 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 get, a, we get a practice uh, 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 waiting for something and going and doing all the traditions that we do during this season. This is a season that breaks up the monotony of all other seasons, right? It's, it's this time where, where, we, where we, just, we just, some of us, it's a really hard time. I get that. But, but, but by design, there's all these things going on. It's just different than all other seasons. And there's this expectation that we wait for and this anticipation. Waiting with hope is waiting with an anticipation and it's a firm hope. Biblical hope is not like worldly hope where you go, I hope, I hope it rains on Wednesday. But you don't know, right? Maybe the weatherman said it was going to rain on Wednesday. There's a 90% chance that if the weatherman says there's a 100% chance that it's going to rain, that it probably won't rain. You guys figure that out? But so you, you put our hope in things and we say it. We use that word, right? I hope. But this is a word that is, is like, I know for a fact it's coming. I know for a fact it just hasn't come yet. And so it's this very solid and secure hope. And what we learn in this is that God is the source of our hope. How do you define hope? Hope is defined in who God is in this passage. And if, because this is true, because our hope is in who God is, we can say this, our hope can be unshakable. There was a huge earthquake recently, right? It was in Canada. It was in Alaska, right? And they got shaken, and this world shakes, and, and the news shakes us, and, 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 and all these things can shake us, but we have this hope that cannot be shaken. Like the old hymn, right, says, my, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. And then he says, all other, all other hope is sinking sand, right? It's, it's just sinking sand, and we have this solid hope. Why? Because our hope is in who God is. He's the source of our hope. And not only is He the source of our hope, but God is the object of our hope. He Himself is our hope. And so we put our hope in who God is. And in, in this passage in Romans 15, notice it's a lot of praise in there. Glory, glory, glory. Why? Because we put our hope in the God who is worthy of all praise. It's who He is. He is praiseworthy. We put our hope in who God is, and we put our hope in, in what God has done, right? The language in here is that, is that when Jesus came, he, he saved us. He had mercy on us. He accepted us. Jesus on the cross, the finished work of the cross, is what we put our hope in. That's how we can have relationship with God. That's how we can know that everything's going to be okay. And our hope is in what God has promised and who He is and what He has done and what He has promised. And we see in this, in this, in this passage a past, a present, and a future aspect of our hope. The Jewish people were awaiting this hope. And when Jesus showed up, hope arrived. In this present time, right? Right now, what happens with this hope, he says, there's this process in which he fills us with joy and peace. And then we overflow with hope. 
That's, a, that's, a, that's our present state. And then there's a future. He is coming back. And I consider that these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when He does come back. So it's this, it's this faith, this hope in who God is, what God has done, and what God has promised. And not only that, this passage teaches us that it is an inclusive hope. It is not a hope just for the Jews or just for the Gentiles. It is an inclusive hope. This hope is offered to all who receive this good news. And if you have your paper Bible, I want you to circle, underline, or highlight promises to the fathers. He made promises to the fathers. What this is, he's talking about Abraham. That there was this promise to Abraham that he would, he would have many descendants, that he would have land, and that he would be blessed so that he could be a blessing to all the nations. And Paul is saying that this is a fulfillment. When Jesus came, he, he's, he came to bless all of the nations, the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody. It's an inclusive type of hope. And then he, it's interesting, he quotes in here, there's a, there's a bunch of Old Testament quotes. One of the quotes was from Deuteronomy, that was Moses. Two of the quotes were from the Psalms, that was David. And then one of the quotes was from Isaiah, the prophet. Now if you were Jewish, and you wanted to say all of the Old Testament, all you had to say was Moses, David, and Isaiah. Right? The historical books right? The Mosaic law, the writings, the writings of wisdom, and the prophets. Jesus often said, I fulfilled the law and the prophets. That meant all of the Old Testament. So that's what, that's what Paul is very carefully doing by quoting these, these sections. He's like, all throughout the whole Old Testament points to this Jesus who came and offers hope to everybody who believes. It's an inclusive type of of hope, and you can even circle, underline, uh, or highlight the Gentiles will hope in him. That would have been crazy talk to a Jewish person at that day. Even the Gentiles, right? That's how they would have, uh, uh, have read this. Yes, even the Gentiles, it's for everyone. You ever felt like you're not good enough? I mean, I have. I mean, I went through junior high, right? Ever felt like, like, like you don't have what it takes? You ever feel exposed like everyone else now knows it? It's a terrible feeling. And yet what, what, what Paul is saying here, he says, no, look, you've been accepted by God and your hope should be built on that. You no longer have to worry if you're good enough. You no longer have to worry if everything is going to work out, if there's a plan for you. You are not a mistake. You were, you, were, you were pre-planned by God. He brought you here. And He has a purpose for your life. And He wants you to be reconciled to Him through Jesus. And He wants you to live here on earth, not only with this tension of the not yet, but making the most of your not yet in light of what's coming. And so He wants us to live in this type of hope. And it's for everybody who believes. It doesn't matter if you have money or if you don't have money. It doesn't matter if you can pay your rent this month or you can't pay your rent this month. It doesn't matter if you don't have a rent or anywhere. To, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. It matters because he cares about the things we care about. But when it comes to 
God accepting us, He accepts us based on what Jesus did, and that is a solid hope. The other part of this would be this. Already in in chapter 10, He said, how are people going to believe unless we tell them? And so there's an aspect to this that I want to start building with this hope is that part of the thing is that he blesses us to be a blessing and there's an evangelism piece to this for the season. When it says that, that, that he came to the Jews, remember the Jews were supposed to be blessed to be a blessing. God was supposed to use the Jewish people to bless the nations. He was supposed to use the Jewish people not to keep it to themselves, but to spread it to the nations. He says, now that Jesus came and now it's spreading and I want you to spread it. Do you know anybody who needs this type of hope this Advent season in your life? I want you to just, not, 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 not in a distracted way, to just start praying in your mind. Just start having a little hope for your friends, your family, your neighbor, because that is what they need most this Advent, this Christmas, is Jesus. Do you guys believe that Jesus still saves? Do you guys believe that, that the gospel is still powerful to save? That it still becomes pers- persuasive? That the most hardened hearts, people in this room even right now today, you're like, I'll never believe. Who I used to think that. You do not know my God. And the persuasion that comes, especially when people are praying. So who do you know that needs hope in this Christmas season. And then I want to switch in your notes. He says something very interesting. He says, what's going to happen first is you're going to be filled with joy and peace. We, we talk about these things a lot during the Advent series, right? Hope and joy and peace. You're going to be filled with joy and peace. How many of you guys would love to be filled with joy and peace? Right? I don't care who you are. Nobody's going to reject them some joy and some peace. Right? Now, how, how do you get filled with joy and peace? And, and what kind of happens with joy and peace? He gives a little bit more explanation. He goes like this. He goes, literally, you're going to get filled with joy and peace, and then you're going to overflow with hope. You're going to be filled with joy and peace, and then you're going to overflow with hope. But how does this process begin? Because he does tell us, I don't know if you, if you caught it, and I'm going to tell you in a second. He tells us exactly how this process begins. He says, as you believe. He says, as you believe. He fills us with joy and peace. Until we overflow with this hope. And that's the progression And the idea of overflowing is found all throughout the scriptures. We see this in Abraham, right? You're going to, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. The idea is I'm going to bless you so much, people are, it's going to flow out of you and people are going to be able to see it and they're going to be able to see something about the God who blessed you and they're going to want to be blessed. And guess what? I want to bless them. And so that's God's heart all throughout the scriptures is that he wants to, he wants us to, to overflow and to, and to be a blessing. And this is a result of believing. Believing what specifically? I think if we're in, in 
In, in Sunday school right now, we might say like, oh yeah, believing in Jesus or Moses. Those are always the right answer, right? He's going to believe in Jesus. But I would say even more specifically from the whole letter of Romans, we're in the chapter 15, there's a lot in there, believing that you are loved by God. Because that's what he says in Romans 5, 8. He says, in this, his love was shown or displayed. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Believing that you are loved by God. And then here's the progression. John talks about it. The Apostle John in 1 John, he, in 1 John 4, he goes, he goes, we love God because he first loved us. And so the idea here is that, is that we, God loved us. And that when we believe that he loves us, we get so overfilled with that. And he says, then you'll, you'll, you'll start to love God. When he, when he loves you and you believe it, you start loving him. And, and then he, he goes on in 1 John, and he goes, and if you love God, you're going to love everyone else. It's this overflow response to the love of God, to believing that God loves you. And you, you need to believe that you are seen. You ever feel like no one sees the real you? Or even worse, this is my greatest fear, that people would see, really see me, and then they would reject me. Like if you, there's this, there's this piece of me, even as your pastor, it always stands here and goes like, if you knew, if you really knew what goes on inside this brain and this heart, you guys would not let me up here to speak and you wouldn't like me. I felt like that my whole life, but, but you're seen and you're known, believing that you're known. And, and, and even bigger than that, believing that God sees everything about you, knows everything about you, and still wants you. That's radical. And that's what Paul is saying in here. He goes, look, he goes, Here's, therefore, because of this hope, accept each other. Accept one another. Why? Because you've been accepted in Christ. First it came to the Jews. Then it came to the Gentiles. Then he's quoting uh, Deuteronomy and then the Psalms and then Isaiah. And he's, then he gives it back to you and he goes, Now may you be blessed and filled with joy and peace while you believe all of this. And then overflow with hope. And that's going to overpour onto others so that when you know that you've been seen and loved and accepted, the overflow is you love others. You guys know what grace is? Grace is treating people better than you think they deserve. Anybody you think, you know in your life, you, you think they deserve a proverbial spanking? <laughs> I saw a couple people on the freeway coming home from work this morning that deserved less than they got, right? But treating people better than you think they deserve accepting one another as they are. That's what God does for us. And that's what the overflow looks like. This is part of the result. And then and just believing that you're accepted by God. And this idea of accepting is, is like being welcomed or received. And, it, and he says it's based on mercy. It's based on what Christ did, not on what you did. Anybody here have a perfect week this week? You absolutely deserve to be in God's presence and have all of his love and, and have joy and peace. Anyone deserve joy and peace from God? No, none of us deserve it. And yet all of us, it's offered to us. Not based on how good or bad you were this week or this month or this year in your life, 
but based on what Jesus did. It, was, it, was, it came in, in, the, in the form of mercy. It's the gospel of grace that God treats us better than we deserve, and we respond to this gospel of grace by treating others better than they deserve or, or better than we think they deserve. And then lastly, lastly, he, he gives us some great news in this hope. Most of the time, the way my brain processes things is like this. I'll hear a sermon, or I'll read a Bible verse, or I'll read a book, or, or, or I'll just have my own kind of convictions or my thoughts, and then I decide I'm going to get better. I'm going to do better. Anyone else? I can fix this. I know how to fix this. I just need to stop doing that and start doing more of that. That's not how Paul leaves us. It's not what he says here. He says, as you believe, you're filled with joy and peace. You're going to overflow with hope. And we'll talk about in a minute kind of some of the ramifications, the beautifications, I would say, that, that kind of spill out of us. But what he's saying also in here is that you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what he says in, in Romans 15. We don't want to ignore that. that we need this God. And so, just theologically, we know that as Christians, we believe in a God who is three, three persons in one. It can be confusing for some. If, if, you, if somebody could give you an explanation in, in a minute of how this all works, then maybe they're Jesus, right? Maybe you just met Jesus. Because I don't think it's possible, but just a very simple, basic kind of foundation or framework that helps me as I, as I try to kind of put this together, how this works is this. It's the Father, the Son who is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And in the Scriptures, we, we often see that the Father, the Heavenly Father, initiates all gospel things. The Father is the initiator. He initiates all, all gospel things. And the Son accomplishes all gospel things. Things. And you could argue in the Old Testament, many of the angels that come, and there's, they're called typologies, there's types, right? Like, it's Jesus coming before he came. That's a whole other thing. But throughout the Scriptures, Jesus accomplishes all gospel things. And then what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit applies all gospel things. So you have this Father that initiates all things, a Son who accomplishes all things, and this Holy Spirit who applies all things, and they never work independently. That's what makes it hard to understand. They're always working together, and so you can't pull it apart as cleanly as I'm trying to pull it apart, but, 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 it, but that, that's a, a, a general gist. And so the Holy Spirit applies all these things, and so we shouldn't be surprised that the Holy Spirit is the one that applies this hope in our life. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us believe. The Holy Spirit helps you believe. In the New Testament, there was a guy who Jesus was kind of asking him to believe, and he, and he realizes, Jesus under, he sees me. I can't fool this Jesus. And so, I don't know if you remember what he prays. He prays real quick like this. I believe, he goes. And then he, and then he, then he has a moment like, wait, wait, well, okay. I want to be honest, help me believe. The Holy Spirit helps us believe. If you're having a hard time in this season believing, the Holy Spirit helps us believe. It's a great thing to ask. God, help me believe 
through this season. He helps us believe. And then he, he helps us point, by pointing us to Jesus, believe that, and know that Jesus died on the cross. As we read the scriptures, he, he illuminates it for us. He helps us. He helps us see it and understand it and believe it. And He helps us be reconciled to God. And then the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, abilities. He gives us a calling. Here's what I want you to do, and here's everything you need to do it. And then I'm not going to leave you off on your own. I'm going to come with you while you're doing it. And I'm going to help you use these tools that I'm giving to you. And I'm going to help you reach your neighbors. And I'm going to help you live a, a godly life. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's a, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit empowering us helps us do all these things. We don't do them on our own. We cannot do them on our own. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will believe. We will experience peace and joy. How many of you guys need peace and joy? You need more of the Holy Spirit right now to help you have peace and joy. It doesn't come from convincing yourself in your head. It comes from an external source of hope that is the Holy Spirit. And then we can overflow with this hope. And what can we expect to see from this overflow? So if, if, if we just break it down like this, when we believe and the Holy Spirit has, has entered in and we kind of just, we, we, we don't reject the Holy Spirit, we don't, we don't kind of silence it, and we just, maybe even today you're starting to feel like, like God's drawing you a little deeper into your relationship or into a new relationship. And you just go, okay, I'm going to go on that journey with you, Holy Spirit. And He helps us believe. And then He, he pours joy. Is joy... Is it possible to have joy when, when life stinks? I would say yes, because it says in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. It doesn't say he enjoyed the cross. It says he endured it. That's a term that means it's, it wasn't fun. He endured it. But, but he maintained joy. Because his, his joy, I believe, was, was in him looking at us and seeing all of our faces and all of us who would believe one day and knowing why he was enduring this suffering. And so he, he literally had joy, he says. And we can have joy in the middle of any circumstance. Maybe you won't feel happy, but you'll feel joy because they're two different things. And so one of the overflows of this is going to be Peace and joy. And that's going to overflow with hope. And then what is this hope going to produce? In this passage, it's three things. In this passage, it's three things. And we'll have the worship team come back up. And as we're preparing to kind of to sing praises to God and then to leave here with hope and a mission, I want us to think about these things. The, the overflow of hope overflows into worship it overflows into unity, and it overflows into evangelism. It overflows into worship. It overflows into unity, and it overflows into evangelism. As a matter of fact, Peter, the Apostle Peter, who I've been through some hard times, 
He said this. He said, always be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope they see in you. So when this hope overflows, when this hope overflows, we should expect that people will see it. And they'll see that there's something supernatural about it. It's not like the normal hope that people have. It's a, it's a, it's a more depth in this hope. There's more texture in this hope. There's more substance in this hope. This hope is beyond this world. This hope is... And then they ask, what is this hope? They don't know. And then we get the opportunity to tell them. And earlier, in Romans chapter 10, Paul had said, people can't believe unless we tell them. And so they're going to see this hope, and they're going to ask, and then we're going to tell them, and then they can believe. And then they can start their own journey. In believing, they can get filled with joy and peace and overflow with hope. And then someone will see them and go, hey, what about that hope? And then they can, you can tell them. And then when you tell them, they can believe. And then when they believe, then they can be filled with joy and peace. And they can be overflowing with hope. And then hope is going to be overflowing. So people are going to be like, where did that hope come from? <laughs> and then you can tell them. And then, and then because when you tell them, they can believe. And then, and then they believe. You guys get the point, right? So there's very big an evangelism piece to this. But there's also a worship piece to this. I don't know if you noticed, but he's like, remember in the Old Testament with Moses and David and and Isaiah? They're like, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And the Jews are praising God and the Gentiles are praising God and everyone's praising God. Why are they praising this God? Because he's worthy to be praised. It's who he is. He's praiseworthy. And so when we have hope in a God who is worthy, just like joy, doesn't matter if you have the feels this morning. If you're like, you know what? You know, I hope they play my favorite song because I'm going to get up and dance and sing, right? No. You might be in any circumstance that you're at. But when you catch this glimpse, when you have this remembrance of how good God is, you could sing with sincerity, even if you don't feel it. You could sing with authenticity, because God is always worthy of praise. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.